2: Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
1: This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg
3: Radio.
0: President Trump is ratcheting up his unusual battle with the judiciary, this time calling on Supreme Court Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg to recuse themselves from future cases involving him. Trump based his criticism on a dissenting opinion by Justice Sotomayor last Friday and a comment by Justice Ginsburg four years ago. Her statement was so inappropriate. When you're a justice of the Supreme Court, and it's almost what she's trying to do is take the people that do feel a different way and get them to vote uh, the way that she would like them to vote. I just thought it was so inappropriate, such a terrible statement for a Supreme Court justice. In her dissent, Sotomayor criticized the court's conservatives for granting so many of the Trump administration's emergency stay requests that it's become the new normal instead of the exception. And Sotomayor has the numbers to support her dissent. Joining me now is Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School. He researched the numbers of emergency relief requests the Trump administration has made for a Harvard Law Review article that Sotomayor cited in a similar dissent. Let's start first with what the court actually did in that vote last Friday.
3: Sure. So, you know, the Supreme Court had already put on hold a nationwide injunction issued by a federal judge in New York against this so called public charge rule, this, you know, new immigration rule that would make it harder for individuals who the government deems likely to need some kind of public assistance to receive any kind of lawful immigration status. But there was also a non-nationwide injunction just in Illinois. And this was the government's request to the Supreme Court to also put that statewide injunction on hold. That's what the Supreme Court, by a five to four vote, agreed to do last Friday so that there would be a nationwide lift, not just of the New York injunction, but of the Illinois injunction as well.
0: So while the case is winding its way through the lower courts, The justices are allowing the president to do what he wants, and it could take years for the case to get back to the court. So it's a win-win for the administration?
3: That's right. And I think it's worth stressing. It's not just that it could and probably will take years for the cases to get back to the Supreme Court. it's that There's no guarantee that the cases will actually ever get to the Supreme Court. I mean, we saw with Travel Ban 2.0... And we saw with one of the early rounds of the census litigation, context in which the government went running to the Supreme Court for an emergency stay, got the emergency stay, and then the government actually abandoned what it was doing before the merits ever got to the Supreme Court. So it's basically a heads we win, tails you lose, where without any kind of conclusive resolution of these legal questions, the government basically gets somewhere between one and three free years to put these programs into effect.
0: Does that mean the justices who voted for the Trump administration are buying the administration's argument that this is an emergency situation and the government would suffer irreparable harm if it can't implement this new rule?
3: It's hard to say, June, because in theory, the court is supposed to be balancing four factors when it decides whether to grant a stay in a case like this pending an appeal, one of those factors is the likelihood of success on the merits. So of course, you know, if the justices were convinced there was no chance the government was gonna win, there shouldn't be a stay at all. But even in cases where there's a majority of justices who do believe that the government has a likelihood of success on the merits, that's not supposed to be conclusive. That is to say, even then that's supposed to be balanced against just exactly what the harm is, either to the government from putting this policy on hold, pending these appeals, or to those who the policy affects by allowing the policy to go into effect pending the appeals. And, you know, June, I think the, the frustrating trend that Justice Sotomayor was planning about in her dissent that I've actually written about at some length, the trend is that there's a majority of the court that now seems to just be increasingly indifferent to what we call balancing the equities, to contrasting the harm to the government on the one hand with the harm to the public, where the harm to those affected by these policies has just about dropped out of the calculus. And if you drop it out of the calculus, June, then, yeah, this really does become increasingly just a question of whether five or more justices believe that when push comes to shove, the government's going to win.
0: The Supreme Court is the last word, and usually it lets novel issues percolate, Mm -hmm. a word we usually hear with respect to this, in the lower courts before it even considers a novel issue. And that's something she also addresses. So give us a little bit of the context of what she said.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a court that lately has been very insistent, as the court likes to say, that it's a court of review, not first view. That sentiment shows up 11 different times last term alone. And so historically, what that's meant, June, is that this is a court that's been very reluctant to grant stays, where stays really are the exception, not the rule. Um, And to that end, I mean, if you look at the practice during the George W. Bush administration, all eight years, and the Obama administration, all eight years, if you combine those two very different administrations. The government only sought a stay from the Supreme Court of a lower court decision a total of eight times in those 16 years. Contrast that with the first three years of the Trump administration, where the government has sought 24 stays, um, including 10 during the October 2018 term alone. So part of, I think, what Justice Sotomayor is complaining about is not just that the government has become so much more willing to seek this kind of relief from the Supreme Court, but that the majority, you know, even in the cases where the majority has refused to grant the relief, there's been no expression from the majority that this uptick is inappropriate, that the Solicitor General is taking advantage of the court in some respect. And so that's why I think Justice Sotomayor is rightly concerned that this is becoming the new normal, where any time the government is subject to any injunction, nationwide or not, of any policy, no matter how controversial, no matter how debatable, it runs to the Supreme Court and is able to get a stay while the litigation challenging that policy, which ultimately might succeed, goes forward.
2: Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.
0: Many of President Trump's victories at the Supreme Court so far have been temporary, the Supreme Court granting emergency relief to the government by blocking the orders of lower courts until legal challenges can go through the normal appeals process, and so allowing the Trump administration to implement its policies. Last Friday, in a dissent, Justice Sonia Sotomayor called the conservative justices on this pattern. I've been talking to Professor Stephen Vladek of the University of Texas Law School. Steve, you researched and wrote a paper on this before the Sotomayor dissent. In fact, she cited that paper in a prior dissent. Why did you decide to research this topic?
3: June, I think those of us who watch the court carefully and, and closely, I think, had sort of anecdotal senses that there was an uptick in what the Solicitor General was doing. And, you know, so I thought it might be worth trying to convert the, the anecdotes into data. So I started first by you know, just trying to compile a list. Of all of the times that the Trump administration had tried to basically jump the queue since it came into office. And then I went back and tried to contrast that with, you know, however much data was available. But the best data really dates only from 2000 onwards. So that's why I focused on Bush and Obama administrations. And, you know, the more work I did, June, the more the data seemed to be quite striking in the contrast between the paucity of these instances during the prior two administrations, you know, across very different ideological valences with what's been going on lately. And so then I sort of said, well, you know, let's try to figure out why is this happening? You know, a common complaint, a common sort of critique, a common defense of this new aggressiveness on the SG's part is that President Trump has been subject to an unprecedented number of nationwide injunctions. That's true descriptively, but that's not really what's going on in the Supreme Court. I mean, as Last Friday's order helps to underscore, many of these cases actually are not nationwide injunctions. And that's why I think we have to be careful to be nuanced about this and not just sort of jump at the superficial headlines like I think too many people have these days.
0: So Steve, we've been talking about the number of requests from the Trump administration for stays from lower court orders. Do you know how many they've actually won?
3: I did look at the success rates, so there have been, as I said, 24 different applications from the Trump administration for stays. Counting last Friday's ruling in the public charge case, this is now the 11th that was granted in full. Another three have been granted in part in the travel ban cases. So that's 14 where at least part of the lower court decision has been stayed. Three were withdrawn by the government because circumstances changed while the application was pending. And then seven have been denied. So it's a good batting average for the Solicitor General. It's not a perfect batting average. but. I think the real key here is that the grants have tended to be in these close, divisive contexts where, like last Friday, the votes were often five to four. June, if you go back and look at the 16 years of the Bush and Obama administrations, not one of the eight stay requests from the Bush or Obama Solicitors General were met with a five to four vote in either direction. And indeed, of the eight requests, only one provoked any dissents. So it's not just the volume that's increased, and it's not just that the court is acquiescing in these requests more often, it's also that they've become much more ideologically charged and politically divisive, and I think that's a lot of what Justice Sotomayor was reacting to, not just in her dissent on Friday, but in her dissent last September in the second asylum ban case, where she leveled similar charges against the majority.
0: If there is even this appearance that the Supreme Court is bending the rules for the Trump administration, does it surprise you that Justice Roberts is still voting with the conservatives in these matters?
3: So, I mean, I should say, you know, the chief justice has actually joined the liberals in a couple of these. So, you know, two of the ones that the Trump administration has lost, the chief was one of the the key votes with the, with the lefties. But, um, I, you know, I think, again, we have to separate Chief Justice Roberts, the institutionalist, from Chief Justice Roberts, the lawyer. John Roberts is actually one of the leading jurists with regard to the subtle doctrinal trend that I think is behind this shift, where, you know, he thinks that The government is irreparably harmed any time a statute is enjoined or a policy is enjoined without regard to the conflicting impact on the public. So I think on the merits, he actually is perhaps leading the charge in this respect. But, and this is a point I try to make in the paper, I think it would behoove him and the court to actually say what's going on because otherwise you do have the specter of partisan political bias as opposed to a doctrinal shift that June I don't think is ultimately correct. But is at least something that could be defended on nonpartisan, non-ideological terms where if a majority of the court issues an opinion setting out a new standard for stay applications when the government is the complaining party, presumably that standard will be good for the next administration too. And the longer that this goes on without the court saying anything, the longer that there's no explication and no explanation of why there's such a disconnect between the lower courts and the Supreme Court on this technical but critical question of when the government's entitled to emergency relief, I think the more the court is open to the very kinds of partisan biased charges that we've seen after and in light of Friday's ruling.
0: President Trump asked for the recusal of not only Justice Sotomayor, but also of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg for a comment that she made about him when he was running in
3: 2016.
0: Does the Supreme Court have any rules for when the justices should recuse themselves?
3: Yes and no. I mean, the Supreme Court is the only federal court that's not bound by the relevant federal statute, twenty-eight USC section four fifty-five. You know, the justices do have their own sort of internal. I guess norms is probably better than rules about recusal. And every once in a while, you'll see a justice write a short opinion to explain why they either did or did not choose to recuse in a particular case. But, you know, this is a subject on which the justices keep their own company. And frankly, I mean, I think the president's comments are rather wide of the mark. I mean, I think there are contexts in which we ought to be asking serious questions about whether the justices are hopelessly and irrevocably prejudiced in favor of or against a particular party. But if we started rec- requiring the justices to recuse, in any case in which we all had concerns that their minds were made up, we wouldn't have a court for very long, and we wouldn't have justices to hear most of these cases. So, you know, I think the recusal conversation is really typical Trump in effort to rile up the base, but not an especially serious legal charge.
0: So then you're saying that there are no reasons for Sotomayor or Ginsburg to recuse themselves in Trump cases?
3: I mean, so first I should say, I think these are very separate cases. I mean, the argument apparently for Sotomayor to recuse herself is because of something she never actually said, which is the Fox News version of her dissent from Friday that she accused the majority of pro-Trump bias. Never says that, doesn't accuse him of that. And in any event, it's an opinion. I actually think there's a stronger argument about some of the public comments that Justice Ginsburg has made about the president, but she's apologized for them. And she has, I think, expressed regret at making them. And I do think we ought to be careful to distinguish between the propriety of the justices speaking out publicly about politicians, individuals in the news, cases in the news, et cetera, versus what they write in their job as justices in their opinions. The notion that justices should ever be asked to recuse because they write a dissent, where they are concerned that the majority is tipping the scales in favor of an institutional litigant, I think it's a pretty dangerous path to go down and why I would treat the Sotomayor and Ginsburg cases very differently. I don't think either of them have any need to recuse, but I think the the Sotomayor case is almost frivolous.
0: Thinking back to Justice Antonin Scalia, he wrote quite a few dissents that were fiery,
3: That's right. I mean, I think folks should be careful about what they wish for here. This is all happening at the same time as we are seeing reports in the news that Ginny Thomas, the wife of Justice Thomas, has been directly involved in efforts by the White House to purge the executive branch of employees who are not sufficiently loyal to the president. I don't think that's a reason why anyone should ask Justice Thomas to recuse from cases involving Trump. But this is a dangerous road to go down when you've got a Supreme Court of nine justices with no backups. You know, in the lower courts, if a judge recuses, there are plenty of other judges to take their place. That's not true for the Supreme Court, and I think that really helps to underscore why the recusal conversation is often simply about messaging and not really substantive concerns that the justices are somehow more or less able to discharge their duties in particular cases.
0: And finally, the Philadelphia Bar Association has come out in a statement condemning recent unwarranted attacks on the rule of law and judicial independence. And Chief Justice Roberts in 2018 came back with a surprising comment when Trump called a judge who ruled against an administration policy, an Obama judge. We haven't heard anything from either Chief Justice Roberts or Justice Sonia Sotomayor Doesn't this call for a word from the chief?
3: It certainly doesn't call for a word from Justice Sotomayor. I mean, I think Justice Sotomayor should just keep doing her job and keep her head down and let people defend her. I was heartened by his statement in 2018. Um, I, I think it was a very deliberate and calculated statement on the chief's part. I've been surprised at how little he has said since June. And I think, you know, we saw some of that during the impeachment trial in the Senate. You know, the one time the chief chose to sort of speak up was to chastise both sides for their lack of decorum. I think it would be helpful to have the chief, if not the entire court, somehow push back against these attacks on for example Judge Jackson in the Roger Stone case. But, you know, the silence here I think is understandable because this is not something the chief wants to be doing. I just think it is increasingly unfortunate because it is I think suggesting perhaps incorrectly that the president that he faces no consequences for publicly seeking to vilify judges who just happened to rule against him, and for trying to basically bully judges into doing his bidding. And June, in that respect, I don't think it's a coincidence that the president you know, is on this campaign against Justices Sotomayor and Ginsburg um, with less than a month before the Supreme Court's gonna hear three cases about his financial
0: records. Thanks so much for being on Bloomberg Law, Steve. That's Stephen Vladek, a professor at the University of Texas Law School. I'm June Grosso, and this is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid to large size companies like yours to help manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how.
1: The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's in Einstein with Salesforce.